Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 21st of May 2019, most notable in global capital markets, of course, for being the day before Mark Pender's birthday. In addition to Mark, I'm pleased to say that joining us this week is our Asian guru, Sydney-based Brian Jackson, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Since we have Brian, let's start with some words of wisdom from the Southern Hemisphere. So, Brian, we've just had um, elections in Australia where not a great deal seems to have happened. But does that mean there's nothing new for financial markets to get excited about? Or is there more to it than that? And, and with regards to that, did the democracy sausage influence the result? Well, uh, I had a democracy sausage, yes. Uh, for, for those who don't know, there, there is a um, uh, you know, common practice in Australia when you go to uh, the, the election booths, uh, you have local groups or schools or sporting clubs having a, a barbecue, uh, grilling a few sausages, and then you, uh, you, uh, you buy a sausage just before you go in to vote. So that's a very uh, Australian way of uh, exercising our democratic uh, privileges. Excellent. So, um, yeah, but you know, the, the thing about the election, obviously, was that, okay, nothing's changed. We've got the same government, but the, the surprise was that uh, you know, most of the polls and pundits were predicting that the opposition Labor Party would win. So we actually had quite a, a, a strong market response on Monday when uh, when the share market reopened. Uh, a lot of people had been factoring in some extra taxes on property and, and investment. So now that the Liberal Party, uh, the incumbent government has been returned, uh, there was uh, quite a, a positive response from the share market uh, after that. Jolly good. I noticed that you've had, um, was it your bond yields have been touching all time lows again? Um, does that mean markets now looking for another RBAEs? Yeah, I think that's the you know definitely the the a very interesting story. We've had um, you know over the last month now more and more explicit signals from the RBA that uh, a rate cut is on on its way, and that's after you know nearly nearly three years of of no change in policy rates, right. and all through last year um, the message from the RBA was I oh, know the next move is probably going to be higher, so. So what's happened? Well, you know, we've had inflation uh, now for three quarters uh, being below the uh, RBA's target range of 2 to 3%. So uh, they think, OK, we, we might have to do something about that. And more recently, uh, just in the last couple of months, we've also had uh, some you know, signs of, of, of the labour market coming uh, a little bit slower. Uh, we've had the unemployment rate go up from 4.9% to 5.2%. So, uh, you know, we've, we've had a change in conditions and, and the RBA is saying, OK, that means we might have to change uh, the policy outlook. So at the, uh, the meeting at the start of the month, uh, they uh, sent a signal in, in the statement. Then we had yesterday the minutes to that meeting providing more details about that discussion. And then after the meeting, we had the RBA Governor Philip Lowe come out and say, yep, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. And at the next meeting in June, we will be considering a rate cut. And has this got much to do with the slowdown in China? Uh, I think that's uh, definitely flowing through to it, but there's probably it's probably more domestic factors uh, are driving it. You know, as I said, the the uh, the lower domestic inflation and uh, you know some signs of cooling in the in the labour market and also the property market. You know, you know, as you know, over the last 12 to 18 months, we have had um, housing prices come down quite a bit in Melbourne and Sydney. And that's uh, just been another factor that's been weighing on uh, household consumption. So, you know, I think that's the, the main thing that they've been looking at. But, uh, you know, the, the situation in China is definitely contributing to, you know, their uh, more 
cautious assessment of the global outlook. Okay, in terms of China then, um, notice we have some comments coming out of Beijing suggesting that again, this ongoing trade war that it may mean that their, their stimulus will be stepped up to buttress the domestic economy. Do you think that's likely? And, and if so, what do you think that actually means? I, I think that is likely. Um, and, you know, because we're coming into this uh, trade war with, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the indicators already uh, showing things are, are fairly soft in, in parts of the Chinese uh economy, particularly manufacturing. So to, to that respect, you know, if we do have any further uh, uh, slowdown as a result of the trade war, they'll have to, I think, uh, react. And we've already seen them um, announce uh, back in March at, at the at the annual meetings of the National People's Congress that they would uh, provide more fiscal support and they would uh, try and do a bit to ease liquidity conditions. So I think we'll see more of that. Uh, you know, the... We had um, last week a whole bunch of uh, data for um, uh, the month of April, uh, sorry, the month of uh, March, showing um, a, a bit of a slowdown in some of the key indicators. Sorry, it was April. I'm, I'm, I'm losing track of where we are. But um, so we had, uh, you know, retail sales and industrial production come off uh, from, from levels. But in both of those cases, the officials did indicate that there were some sort of one-off factors that had contributed to that. So that... For the time being, they're sort of having a, a brave front saying, you know, we're still doing okay. But again, that's all before any of this impact from from uh, the trade tensions is going to be start flying through to the data. Yeah, sure. Hey, okay. Brian, this is uh, Brian. This is Mark. I have a question about what's the the feeling or the the sentiment in Australia toward the U.S. Uh, tariff actions. Do they think of, uh, uh, that they're uh, uh, a punitive? Do they think that they're um, for everyone's good? How, how do, uh, what, what, is there a view that uh, that's forming? Uh, I, I don't think it's been really a, a huge uh, factor from you know leading politicians or, 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 or industry groups here. They haven't been very vocal about it, but I think in general, and and that would also include you know the RBA in general. They're they they are concerned about it, and in particular worried about. The impact that that will have on Chinese demand for Australian exports, obviously. Uh, so, in general, I think the the uh, the, the political class and, and the business class are, are pro free trade and, and don't like the idea of, of of tariffs going up around the world. So that's not going to uh, have a lot of support here. But um, they're, they're kind of keeping their head down uh, at the moment and, and sort of hoping that uh, I'm sure there's there might be some things going on behind, behind the scenes. But you know, I think the hope is that both the Chinese and, and the Americans can come to some sort of uh, agreement uh, over time and uh, that, that there won't be a huge impact on, on world trade. Okay, thanks for that, Brian. Um, but before we um, just move on to Mark, perhaps just ask you quickly about Japan. I mean, expectations were for a fairly soft first quarter GDP, but in the end, we got a surprisingly strong headline print, but the component's not that good. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the key, the key uh, message there is that the headline number was uh, boosted by basically a drop in import growth in, in the first three months of the year. So that obviously had a, a, an impact on the net trade number, which uh, boosted the headline growth number. But if you strip that away, all the, uh, the underlying uh, demand components for, for the Japanese economy were actually softer. Uh, that includes uh, household consumption, investment and uh, also public demand. So, yeah, the headline uh, strength is, is quite misleading and 
the actual um, uh, demand for for the economy uh, is is quite a bit weaker than it was uh, the quarter before, and also exports were for, were a bit weaker. So it's all about just that, that drop in imports that was boosting the number. All right, and last quickly on. Um if I'm right, they still have planned uh, a hike in of a sales tax in October. How likely is that, that it's going to take place now? Uh, I, I think the government is still committed to going ahead with that. Uh, it's been uh, in the pipeline for, for a long time now. Yeah, right. So I, I don't think um, at this stage that there's plans to, to pull that. So does that mean the BOJ is going to have to try and offset it somehow with an easier policy? They have come out and said, "Yeah, we stand ready to uh, to ease policy further uh, if that's need if that's needed." Um, just in the last couple of months, that's been the the, the key message in the uh, in the BOG statement that's coming out after their decision. So, again, we've had this long period of policy stability in Japan, uh, and there were, for a long time there was expectations that you know they would be in a position to start moving policy back towards more normal levels. But it, it does appear that if anything. Um, more stimulus will be needed. And that's sort of been a a common theme across uh, quite a few countries around here. Right. Okay. Thanks a lot for that, Brian. Mr. Pender, talking of policy, Hmm. you have minutes from the FOMC on Wednesday. Tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Um, Yeah, yeah, I noticed you had some slightly disappointing housing figures today. What's going on? Well, it's uh, the housing uh, numbers are very volatile here. Uh, And if you smooth them out, they're not as weak as they look. Uh, we had a big jump at the beginning of the year. Mortgage rates are uh, dropping very sharply or have dropped very sharply here. And so that really uh, uh, has underpinned what are mostly uh, better uh, housing data, not just existing home sales that were today, which um, came in below expectations. But again, um, the trend is the the best it's been uh, uh, in a while uh, last year was a was a, a bad slump for the housing sector, but the data that really stand out here are the April data for industrial production, which showed a, a half percent decline at the headline level, and also for manufacturing. Manufacturing in this report, which measures volumes, has has just been um, dismal. Uh, all year. And then we also, last week, we had a retail sales report for April, which was really very surprisingly uh, weak. Now, that could have calendar effects uh, related to Easter, um, uh, perhaps, perhaps not. Um, But it's been kind of a jigsaw or a a, a sawtooth pattern for retail sales um, since the big collapse in December. And the consumer uh, spending uh, contribution um, from the first quarter, uh, fell in half or uh, even more to uh, the low 1% area. And the early expectations for the second estimate aren't uh, I- improved any. And the first uh, look at the second quarter was uh, April was uh, very weak. So it's interesting, you know, Brian's talking about um, the, you know, easier rates, easier rates. Um, and uh, we haven't really, you know, the last FOMC, uh, which was uh, a May com- uh, the, uh, May one. Um, Jerome Powell talked up uh, a, a hawkish inflation line um, that really hadn't panned out. He cited um, uh, pecu- uh, unusual uh, factors that were skewing core inflation lower, which was running at one six percent, one point six percent at the last reading for March. He cited. Um, portfolio fees, which in the producer price report for April uh, didn't show any uh, improvement. A, uh, apparel sales, which in the CPI didn't show any improvement. Uh, 
uh, airline fares which didn't show any subsequent data that you're looking seems at. To, to be a, to, seems to be a pattern here. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it, you know, it, 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 he obviously wasn't keyed in on what the advanced data was going to be. It was still being compiled, I'm sure. But in any case, um, a hawkish line is going to be more difficult to take. Uh, it, or he's going. They're going to have to come up with a new spin. It'll be interesting to see in those minutes uh, how that debate, uh, how strong that debate was, and um, if there is, you know, a, a more, uh, you know, dovish uh, underlying um, tone to uh, FOMC policy than uh, Jerome Powell was projecting in his press conference. Mm, interesting. I always, always ask you this, but what, what's sort of the early call on the, the current quarter GDP? Well, it's it's not, you know, 1% uh, at the low end, maybe 2.5% at the high end. Um, it, as far as the consumer contribution, I think that is really not going to be very good. Uh, it, it probably may be in the, in the 1% area again. Residential investment had fallen for uh, five quarters in a row. And there was hope that there there were, might be a, a bounce back there. Existing home sales aren't really a part of that uh, data, but um, the new home sales are, and they showed a little bit of, uh, of a boost. And starts have been uh, improving. We might see a little bit of an uptick for residential uh, investment, uh, capital goods, uh, business investment uh, has been solid. Whether it will continue to be so, I guess we'll have to see. Certainly, you wouldn't get that impression at all from the uh, uh, the industrial production report, which is you know produced by the Federal Reserve, but it doesn't always fall in line with with other data out of the factory sector. So. Um, and the initial reaction and the data that we've been able to, the anecdotal data, whether it's, uh, you know, we saw something on uh, the last week or two on the, that would offer the earliest possible reaction to the China tariff breakdown. Um, and we didn't see anything really negative. But there was one interesting thing that we saw was um, in the inflation expectations in the consumer sentiment report. Um, uh, really, for that re- reading, uh, uh, jumped, you know, uh, three-tenths, something like that. And um, uh, what's interesting about that, that gives you the idea of stagflation. It's like, the, uh, you know, the, the tariffs are, are coming on, and all of a sudden, you know, these consumer expectations, inflation expectations, which had been just sliding a little bit over the last year, all of a sudden, jolt higher. And um, so that would be an interesting combination to, to a, a, a prospect that, uh, that would, you know, it, it, it makes sense in a way, right? If you're going to get a decline in, in, in net global trade and you're going to get higher uh, tariffs, you might have an inflation effect. So um, uh, that's, I guess, the outlook isn't so great for the second quarter, I can say that. Okay. Interesting times the Fed, particularly if this stagnation, stagflation um, scenario emerges. Um, okay, for my part of the world, let me round things off before we talk for too long. Um, I've got to mention, I suppose, the main focus as far as this week's concerned will be the upcoming European Parliament elections. They kick off on Thursday and will run through on Sunday when the bulk of the EU members uh, will be voting. Normally, these tend to be ignored and turnout typically is much more than 40 percent or so. And they tend to be ignored because invariably it's just a grand coalition between uh, the centre-left and centre-right parties. So, 
effectively it's just steady as you go each time. This time round, though, it could have significant implications for the euro and indeed eurozone financial markets just because of some of the political swings we've already seen in various national elections over the course of the last year or so. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the worry is, I think from the investor standpoint, that we do see a fairly good showing coming through from the anti-establishment or, or even anti-EU and nationalist parties, which if that were to happen, that could really start to undermine some of the cohesion and the harmony we've had across European Parliament, Parliament um, decision-making over the course of the last, what, 15, 20 years or so. Um, anything which really starts to undermine the perceived unity of a political framework across Europe has got to be bad news for the euro. And indeed, when we have the likes of the Italian government, where we already have this anti-establishment group in there already, making noises to the effect that they're more than happy to break the EU fiscal rules on borrowing if it's necessary to reduce their unemployment. You know, that's going to get people really concerned about what's going to happen to the EU budget, which at the end of the day, the European Parliament is responsible for as we go forward. So say keep an eye on these results because they could actually be very important. Um, I should also say that with regards to that at the moment, markets appear to be taking it pretty complacently. I already mentioned that Australia's got record low yields on its bonds where we saw new lows being um, hit today in Spain and Portugal on their benchmark bonds as well. So it would suggest that markets aren't particularly worried. So it could be a shock around the corner there. Um, around off quickly with the UK and just the latest on Brexit, um, we saw talks between the government and the opposition Labour Party breaking down without any agreement at the back end of last week. So as things currently stand, the Prime Minister is planning to reintroduce for a fourth time her Brexit withdrawal bill. That will be in the week beginning the 2nd of June. Um, it's widely expected still that it will be it's defeated heavily again. And if that is the case, the chances are that we will see a new prime minister in that Downing Street within a, perhaps a couple of months or so. The worries for the um, for investor community is if we do see a new prime minister, then they're very likely to be much more well staunchly pro-Brexit than Theresa May is, who's always been as something of a, a soft Brexiteer, if you like. So we've already seen the pound sliding on the back of such worries towards the back end of last week. And anything which suggests that we're going down that route would certainly put Sterling under pressure. It's got to be said, of course, that Mrs May could still somehow draw a rabbit out of a hat and get both sides to agree on some kind of withdrawal bill. And indeed, again, going back to the European Parliament elections, that just might be the trigger. If we see a really poor showing by both the government and the Labour Party uh, in those elections, it might force them to have to come out with some kind of compromise. And that would certainly be excellent news for Sterling, which is another reason for watching these election results. Unlikely, certainly, but it's, it is something which could actually happen. Jeremy, um, what, what's yeah. the, what's the bias for the for the ECB? Right the bias. Now? The bias for the ECB at the moment is, I suppose you've got to say, is on the downside. And I say that because although ostensibly policy for the eurozone is set between now and year end, effectively they've said that if things go according to plan, you know, the current referee rate, which is still zero, 0.0%, will be still be at zero come the end of December 2019. However, um, in terms of the bias, they do come out with this assessment of economic risks. And as things currently stand, that's still biased on the downside. Now, OK, you can say that can move about a bit, which is perfectly 
absolutely true. But I suppose taken, you know, as it literally stands at the moment, it does suggest they're more worried about economic weakness than they are about any kind of you know, renewed economic strength. And in terms of economic figures, that does appear to, you know, to work out quite well. The good first quarter was heavily front end loaded into January and a bit of February. Most of the figures we've had for February and March have been disappointing. And the survey data for what April so far, May coming up on um, Thursday, we'll get the flash PMIs for May. Now, that's pretty, pretty soft too. So if Europe at the moment does anything in terms of monetary policy, it's almost certainly, I think, going to draws um, additional easing, certainly over the near term anyway. Okay, well, I guess that's quite a long global run through for today. So um, I guess we'll end it there. Um, on behalf of Mark, Brian and myself, thanks as always for tuning in. Economy Day Unplugged will be back as usual again next week. And I'm off now to find out how for a fifth successive year, Australia managed to qualify for the Eurovision Song Contest. Who says globalisation isn't alive and well? Bye for now.